You're listening to Vernacular Podcast. Hello, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And this is Episode 7 of Season 3 of Vernacular Podcast. Welcome. We have a packed episode for you today. We have we are talking with three different guests in two different segments. But before we get to them, we wanted to share an update about something we had talked about a few episodes ago, and we wanted to just chat about life. So yes, three or four episodes ago, we talked to you about a British research agency that is building a new Arctic research boat. And the agency thought it would be a great idea to crowdsource the name of this vessel. Specific- get all the British people involved in naming this boat. <laughs> right. So they put it up on the internet and said, internet, public, what is the good, the best name for this boat? And much to their chagrin, the leading candidate by far was the Royal Research Ship, or RRS, Boaty McBoatface. So then the agency was stuck in this awkward position of really, really, really not wanting to name a multi-million dollar ship, the Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> And but, we guessed at the time that they wouldn't do that, that they would probably say, never mind, we're right. not committed to this, we're right. going to name it something else. So that's exactly what they did. We found out just this past week that the ship will actually be named the Royal Research Ship David Attenborough. Much better. <laughs> and however, there is a there is a bright side to the story for those who really <laughs> wanted the Bodie McBoatface, and that is that the submersible – which I'm not sure if it's if it's automated or manned, but it's a tiny submersible that will accompany the Bodie Mc, will accompany the David Attenborough will be named the Bodie McBoatface. Nice. So for so, those who are just really wanting democracy to prevail in England, it's sort of, kind of did. Sort of, kind of in a minor way. <laughs> so yeah, but let this be a lesson to anyone who builds a ship in the future: do not crowdsource the name of the boat. <laughs> All right. Well, we also wanted to just chat about life because life is pretty good right now. It's getting to be summery weather. We're in May now. The weather is beautiful, just lots of sunshine. This and morning, we went out on a great bike ride in what was probably 80 degree weather with a really nice breeze. Yeah, and we've been having lots of bike rides lately, which has been really fun. Yeah, it's been a blast. We also went to Starbucks, which brings us to our tip of the week for this week. Yeah, it's iced coffee weather. And we love iced coffee. You love iced coffee. I don't know if there's much we can add to the iced coffee phenomenon, except that we had our iced coffees with coconut milk today instead of regular milk. And we're not dairy-free or anything, but sometimes we just like to mix it up. It was really, really good. It was delicious. The coconut milk, first of all, is very thick. So it's like adding whole milk or probably half and half to your iced coffee. Which, I mean, is there any other way to go? So tasty. But second, the coconut milk itself, just the natural sugars in it, give the whole iced coffee just a hint of sweetness. Yeah, without adding any sort of sugar, because apparently it's unsweetened. Right, nothing crazy. This is I'm not talking about like a frappuccino, yeah. just a hint of sweetness. Just your iced, actually I guess it was an iced latte with coconut milk. That's what it was. Right, yes. So try that. That's our hashtag tip of the week. Next time you go to Starbucks, it's 80 degrees, you want something cold, try an iced latte with coconut milk. Yes. And I would say, however, though, if you're getting a nice coffee early in the morning, do the iced coffee without coconut milk or milk at all. Just get an iced coffee black because it'll wake you up a little bit more. Okay. (laughs) This is my experience anyway. Hashtag tip of the week too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And also, besides biking and getting iced coffees, we went to a baseball game. Baseball season is here. I've talked about before how exciting – it is every year when baseball season kicks off, and we're in the thick of it now, and Sally and Esther and I actually went to a game this past week, which was great. We saw the Phillies 
saw the Phillies lose, unfortunately, but we yeah, did see the sad. Phillies. And Michael Franca, one of my favorite players, uh, wasn't playing. He's been in a in a slump, so they benched him for this for the game. So in terms of baseball watching, it wasn't the best, but the overall experience was very good. It was. We had really good seats that we got for very cheap on the third base line. We got great. We had great weather. We were in the shade, but the temperature was perfect. It was amazing. Esther was loving it. What we did not do, however, was buy a beer because the beers were $9.25. Yeah. We were pretty shocked by that. And I will never buy a beer for (laughs) $9.25. I mean, the waters are like almost $5. So what do you expect, I guess? Right. I could – maybe I should go back on my statement because I could foresee a scenario in which I buy beer with gold flakes in it for $9.25. Oh, nice. Nice. But I will not buy a beer sans gold flakes for $9.25. They were – during the game, they were showing Instagram pictures that people had added um, the hashtag, whatever hashtag it was they were looking for. But they were showing people's Instagram pictures and one picture had the comment, I will not buy your overpriced baseball (laughs) food. I think it was we can't afford your overpriced food. (laughs) And I mean that's the way I feel because walking around there, everything smells good. I would be very tempted to get a snack. But it's so expensive. And I'm pretty sure they just pump out all the smells. All the smells. Oh, it was so uh, that was probably the most miserable part. (laughs) We had like an apple and a banana. That was it. (laughs) So one of my favorite things to do, though, is go to a minor league baseball game because they generally don't have those really inflated prices. They probably just have like one concession stand or something that you can get. Well, let's see. In the the couple that I've been to. So there's there's different levels of minor leagues. So the stadium size will be dependent on whether or not you're going to like an independent league or single a double okay. a triple a but um the triple a stadiums are definitely bigger the okay. single a stadiums yeah you're gonna have it just a you know a few a handful of concession places okay. but um i mean you'll be able to get a hot dog for like two or three dollars yeah way more places, reasonable rather than you know 10 or 12 yeah, yeah. so so yeah we are having fun with baseball and yeah the summer hopefully weather. our first of several games this year but it was fantastic so if you can, get out and see a baseball game. Major league, minor league, little league, whatever. Any kind of league, just go watch baseball. It's American pastime. All right, let's get on to our guests. We're back at Vernacular Podcast, and we are here with Kylie Mitchell. She's a food blogger at imaeatthat.com. You should definitely check out her blog. It's one of my favorites. There's some really good recipes on there. Yes. And she's also she has an MPH, a master's in public health, and she's an RDN, which is a registered dietitian nutritionist. That's, so. that's a term we just learned about. We, were, <laughs> yeah. we saw the RDN on her resume. We were trying to figure out what RDN stood for, and she educated us on this. <laughs> so, Kylie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. And we have so many questions for you, so I'm just going to jump right in. On your blog's about page, you mention your past relationship with food and your history of eating disorders. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So with eating disorders developing, there's a common expression that genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger, kind of an extreme um, expression. But I just like to say that because I couldn't tell you, like, what day my eating disorder started or what day it stopped. Um, But there was a lot that happened in my childhood that could have contributed to my eating disorder developing. Um, I always want to say that, like, I had a magical childhood. I had loving parents. We went to Disneyland every year. 
Uh, I grew up on a street that had 25 kids that were really close in age to me. It was just like a magical, magical childhood. But um, I remember there were times I would get the message very young that being thin was something that was good and something I should try to be. Um, I mean, I, I remember a family member telling me to wear my hair pulled back in a ponytail because it made me look thinner. Um, another family member called me chubby. And these were adults I, I trusted. And they were telling me that thin is what I should be going for. So as early as 10 years old, I got this message that my body was not good enough as it was, and I should be trying to control my size, which is really confusing to a kid who's going through puberty and should absolutely be chubby at that age. Um, I like to tell my clients that kids are supposed to grow out before they grow up. That's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So then um, moving on in my childhood, when I was 14, my mom got really sick. Um, And my mom's a brilliant woman. She's a veterinarian, super compassionate and loving. And so many of the good parts of me are I have her in bank. And when she got sick, I had zero idea how to cope with the situation. Um, She had a staph infection that spread to her brain. um, And yeah, it was it was a crazy. So it started actually. Yeah, I went into the hospital on my 14th birthday, um, and it progressed really quickly. All of a sudden, she was in a medically induced coma. Doctors were telling us to make funeral arrangements. Oh wow! Um, but over time, things they did get better, uh, and doctors started telling us that she would probably survive, but she was going to be severely disabled. Um, she could be blind, or she wouldn't be able to walk or talk ever again. And I just remember these times of like gut wrenching crying, not knowing like why this was happening to my mom and my 14 year old self, like didn't have the proper coping mechanisms to handle the situation. Yeah, and this is really. The first time I remember going to food for comfort and in the hospital, I would get every single day a personal pizza and this like Arctic ice Gatorade flavor. Um, And it was the only good part of my day. And so looking back, like that's the time when like the emotional eating started just because like eating was my coping mechanism to deal with stressful situations because I was young and I didn't know what else to do in that situation. So how did you break that cycle then if that's where it started? So that's where it started. And I wish like then um, it could have been broken or I would have gotten the proper help at that time to break the cycle. But from there, it just kept getting worse. Um, My mom got better and she's totally great today. Back to working, totally normal, her old self. Oh, that's Um, amazing. Yeah, so a lot of pauses there, um, but my eating habits changed again. And instead of emotional eating, I just stopped eating regularly. Um, I won't go into super details because eating disorders can get very competitive, um, and I don't want to give anyone who is listening any ideas um, if they are struggling with an eating disorder. But I lost a lot of weight, um, and my parents had me start seeing a pediatrician and a therapist Um, My doctor prescribed like this pint of ice cream a day uh, meal plan for me uh, to follow. And anytime a doctor prescribes this, they don't understand eating disorders because there's no way I was going to eat a pint of ice cream a day. Wow. Uh, So I didn't. And I, I had a therapist who told me 
Um, it was post-traumatic stress disorder for my mom getting sick and I was controlling and restricting my food as a way to control the uncomfortable feelings in my life and not have to feel them. Um, then at the same time, like my sister had lost a lot of weight and she had had her first boyfriend and this taught like my 15 year old self that if you lost weight, people Mm -hmm. would accept you and they would like you. Um, and so that was not a great message to be reinforced. So, um, my parents, like they weren't going to let me hang out at such a low body weight. Um, so I, I did start eating again, but because I had had so much restriction in the past, um, I'd put my body in this like low grade starvation. And so when I did start eating again, I, I was binging. And if I would have been working with the eating disorder dietitian at this time, I would have realized like binging is a normal, natural, biological response to starvation. But at the time, I thought this was something I should definitely hide. And so binging started, um, and I didn't find a dietitian to work with, but unfortunately, I found cross-country, and I could binge on food and then run it all off the next day, and I could stay in a place that diet society like would deem appropriate for my weight. Um, and so for four years, I struggled with bulimia. And a lot of people think with bulimia, you have to be vomiting your food, but that's not true. Bulimia just means you're purging the food you ate in some way. And the behavior I was engaging in was excessive exercise. And so I stayed stuck in this restriction binge, binge cycle for years, um, under eating at the beginning of the day and overeating at the end of the day. Um, I trained and ran for a marathon, which was not the best choice for me. Um, society likes to promote that exercise is always something that's good, but man, it can, it can really ruin your life. Um, and it did for me for quite a while. Um, so to recap, eating disorder lasted like five years. I know I'm kind of rambling. Um, no, and this then, is a good story. Okay. And then I hung out somewhere on the spectrum of disordered eating and diet mentality for about three years after that. Okay. And so now you subscribe to a new, a different philosophy of eating called intuitive eating, but you also say on your blog that you don't support dieting. So can you explain for our listeners what, what is intuitive eating and why is it not just another diet? Right. So when you're on a diet, you let external rules guide how and what you eat. And with intuitive eating, you allow your internal cues of hunger and fullness and your cravings to decide what and when you eat. Um, It allows you to decide what foods satisfy you and feel best in your body. Um, I always tell my clients if they want to see an intuitive eater, to look to toddlers because they're excellent at eating until they're full and then getting back to playing with their toys or whatever important thing those toddlers are doing in their life that day. So it's really about letting your internal cues guide your eating rather than a diet you come across on Pinterest telling you what you should and shouldn't eat. Well, we definitely understand your point about toddlers because our 18-month-old daughter does exactly that. Like, even if it's a food that she <laughs> loves, she just won't eat past her full. Yeah, you know, she it's gets, impressive. Yeah. She gets to her full point, and she's done. Yeah, and then she wants to, you know, out, 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 and gets to get out of the high chair and go play. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so easy to lose touch with that because we live stressful lives, and we get to this point where we kind of want to numb away from whatever stress is going on. And sometimes we can use food to do that or just the stress overrides those hunger and fullness cues. And so it's, 
self-care is is an important thing to stay in touch with those cues. So I guess practically speaking, how do you stay in touch with those cues? Yeah. So, oh man, Um, I guess it's different for every person. I would think in the beginning, identifying if you even have normal hunger and fullness cues. Um, And if you don't, then working with a dietitian to allow your hunger and fullness cues to come back. Um, A lot of people, if you are emotionally eating or restricting, your body will just stop giving you the signals that it is hungry um, and it is full. Um, It takes energy for your body to produce those hormones. And if you're not going to listen to them, your body will not produce them. So the first step would be making sure those cues are there. Um, And, you know, practicing mindfulness techniques like yoga or anything that connects you to your body um, to see if those cues can come back and you can even listen to them. So you also say on your blog um, that food is morally neutral. And I was wondering if you could expand on that statement. Yeah. So I don't really think you're a better person because you can like afford a kale smoothie. Um, (laughs) You can drink kale smoothies and still pretty much be a total bitch, which is really unfortunate. Um, (laughs) But I really think it goes back to like your values and like taking care of my body is a value of mine. That doesn't mean it makes me a better person if I'm eating healthful foods. Um, like I, I just don't think it does. I, I realize taking care of my body and being healthy means listening to my cravings and being healthy for me is like eating brownies or eating ice cream. Um, I, I just don't think food, like eating a lot of vegetables makes you like a better or worse person than anyone else. It's just your values and what you think is important. Do you think that a Big Mac is morally equivalent to like a homemade grilled burger? I really think whatever is going to satisfy that craving is going to be the best choice for you. So whichever you want is going to make you not overeat. Like if you eat it and you're like, that was perfect. That's the food choice you should make in that situation. I definitely did that the other day with a Chick-fil-A milkshake. You know, I know, (laughs) I know milkshakes are not healthy by any stretch of the imagination, but I really wanted a milkshake, and so we went out and got a chocolate milkshake at Chick-fil-A, and it felt really good. It hit the spot. Yeah, it's just like getting away from that. Like So many people associate like healthy with skinny, but healthy is totally taking care of your mental health too, and sometimes you need that chocolate milkshake. Like That is the healthy thing because it's what you're craving, and I really think cravings are, are like an itch, and when you scratch the itch, it goes away. Same thing with a craving. Like When you have a craving – you eat what you're craving, and then the craving goes away. The idea is to eat just enough of it to, like, scratch that itch of a craving um, and not having to, like, overdo it so you don't feel your best. So with intuitive eating, could you be confused? Could someone be confused about what they are craving? Maybe. Um, there could definitely be differences in, like, is this a physical craving or is this an emotional craving that's going on? Um, an emotional craving would be I had a bad day at work and I don't want to feel this uncomfortable feeling I'm feeling, so I'm going to eat ice cream. Uh, definitely emotional craving. Physical craving would be you are checking in with yourself, um, you're in touch with your emotions, you're able to be self-aware and identify like 
if you had a good or bad day and if you had a bad day, maybe that's not the best day to eat the ice cream. Maybe you should go on a walk that day instead to let your emotions calm down. But there can definitely be some confusion between physical cravings and emotional cravings. So what should someone's priority be in consuming food? Hmm. So I would say letting your body be the judge, like having a really intense curiosity about what foods make your body feel the best um, and not letting anyone else guide you, whether it's some new diet you heard about that you want to try, really figuring out what is going to make you live a life that makes you feel like you're thriving. Um, And maybe that's eating vegetables, as much as you can. And maybe it's not like just listening to your cravings and identifying, like just knowing like you're an adult and you can make your decisions about your food and you can eat whatever you want. Like it is totally fine. So I just really think getting in touch with your cravings is an important thing and letting your internal hunger and fullness guide your eating rather than some other diet plan that someone's setting. So no one knows your own body, but you basically. Yeah, exactly. And that's why when I do work with clients, it's very much a motivational interviewing. So it's me working with the client to figure out, um, it's it's a lot of open-ended questions and asking them, us, us brainstorming together how I can best help them because they do know their body better than I know their body. And it's very much like a, a peer-to-peer relationship rather than me as expert, like telling them what to do. Um, it's very much a collaborative approach, figuring out what is going to work best for their body. And then I'm just there to tweak it along the way. Yeah, I totally see what you're saying because when you were first talking about following your cravings, I was thinking about how every night I crave uh, chocolate chip cookies and milk. Uh, mm-hmm. But then when you start to think, when you start talking about you know doing what makes you feel better. Uh, I then realized that when I do have chocolate chip cookies and milk every night, I don't feel great. So like I, <laughs> so I have to moderate my cravings for the food that tastes really good with my desire to with be this able, knowledge of how it's going to yeah, make you feel. Yeah, really, later. with my desire, yeah. my self interest to be able to perform to the max extent that I can. You know, so that makes a lot yeah. of sense to me. But Kylie, your mention of the latest diet made me think of the the trend towards like gluten free cooking or paleo diets or detox cleanses. Um, And not to take away anything from people who do these out of medical necessity, but what do you think of these as sort of dieting fads? Yeah, so I agree with you. If there's a medical necessity there, that should be evaluated. But because I work with eating disorders, um, I really see that like paleo and gluten-free and cleanses, um, they're all politically correct way to have an eating disorder in my client population. Um, I realized that not everyone has an obsessive personality and maybe some people could handle like doing the paleo diet for a week or something, but I really think it can be, these diets can be a snowball that leads to disordered eating and eventually, um, an eating disorder. Uh, this goes back to really looking inward and asking yourself, why am I doing a cleanse or why am I going gluten-free? Um, is it because I love and care about my body or is it because I hate my body and I'm trying to control and manipulate it into a place it's not meant to be. Um, when clients do come in and 
they tell me they're gluten-free, I will usually meet them where they're at for a couple sessions before exploring if there's any logical reasoning behind um, them choosing to eliminate gluten. And usually you'll find, like, the client's just like, well, I I just want to be healthier, and so that's why I'm doing X diet. And by healthier, they really just mean thinner. Um, They don't care about their health. They just care about being thin. You've mentioned a few times what you do when a client comes to you, and could you just tell us a little bit more about your professional life? What what do you do as a nutrition counselor? And this is a perfect yeah. opportunity to give yourself some advertising too. So if any of our listeners uh, want to point other people in your direction or themselves in your direction, how do they get in touch with you? And Yeah, do uh, they need to be in the Houston area? So um, I work in an outpatient private practice setting in Houston, Texas. Um, I do work with clients via Skype. Um, a lot of blog readers who want to work with me, we can do Skype. That's great. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun being able to connect with blog readers in that way, um, especially blog readers who have followed me for several years. Um, our company is called Wellness Coaching and Nutrition Therapy. Um, I, I always tell people I'm not a weight loss dietitian though. My main goal is really to help people be okay eating processed foods and working out less. Um, I work with clients anywhere from disordered eating to full blown eating disorders. Um, it usually is a very collaborative approach with a dietitian, me, um, and then a therapist and someone doing medical evaluations as well. So it's like a three person team, um, helping out uh, the client. Um, there's a lot of work to things that I went through to get better as well, but just helping clients to start legalizing food. Um, so just getting away from that good food and bad food mentality that they might have. Um, I don't think there are good and bad foods. I think certainly there are foods that might be more nourishing for us, but I think all food is protein, carbs, and fat, and we need all three of those things. Um, like the chocolate chip cookie and milk example you gave earlier, like so good. milk is, yeah, it's, it's a protein, your cookie, it's the flour in it is your carbohydrate. And then the butter in the cookies are fat. Like it's a superfood. It, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a superfood. And so yes. I really try to help my clients like be able to see that and start to rediscover the satisfaction factor within food. That's awesome. Well, I think your blog is a great resource for people, um, even if they're not quite ready for the counseling aspect of what you do. But your blog, you've got a lot of posts and you've got a lot of great recipes on there. And I just think your um, your post series where you talk about what you ate and did during the day, just kind of breaking that down for your readers, is really helpful for people to see what it looks like to be a healthy person and all the, I mean, you eat probably more than what some people think that they should, and you have a variety of foods in your diet, and I just think that's a great example for people out there who are trying to break free from the dieting mentality. Yeah, thanks for saying that. That is the point of those, like, day-in-the-life posts. Um, I hope it will show people that, like, there is a way to find, like, a healthful balance with the foods that they love and enjoy and are craving. Um, and not every day has to involve exercise. And I don't even like the word exercise. I much prefer just joyful movement of some sort. Um, but yeah, I, I hope it's a positive um, light in some people who are out there struggling. Cause in the beginning when my eating disorder was very strong. Um, I, I started blogging because I was obsessed with food because I was restricting so much and, 
that's not the case now, thankfully, because I don't have an eating disorder anymore. Um, but the blog has kind of evolved away from total solely recipe development into a way to help people who are struggling with eating disorders. So that's been kind of a fun, unexpected progression that I've really enjoyed. Yeah, well, I think you do a great job. Um, what other resources besides your blog would you recommend for our listeners who are interested in learning more about intuitive eating and just interested in surrounding themselves with people who promote a positive body image? Yeah, so um, as far as podcasts that are good with body image and intuitive eating, um, there is one by a woman named Christy Harrison. She's also a dietitian, um, and her podcast is called Food Psych. Um, there is another, I, I would recommend food psych if you're just disordered eating, if you're in the throes of your eating disorder, um, a better option would be a podcast called recovery warriors. Um, and then there's a woman on YouTube who does a ton of podcasts and interviews and her name is Isabel Foxen Duke. Oh, I love her. And I've seen her videos. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you just Google her name and watch or listen to anything she has, it will be gold. Um, all about getting away from that diet mentality, accepting your body in the place it is, um, health at every size, which I'm a total supporter of. Um, she's so talented. Um, and then as far as books, if you're into reading, there's a book called Body Respect by Linda Bacon that goes more into health at every size. And um, it's, it's a great one for sure. Great. Well, we'll link to all of these on our blog. Kylie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. For our listeners who want to know more about Kylie and the work she does, or maybe get in touch with her, her website is imaeatthat.com. That's I-M-M-A, eatthat.com. Kylie, thank you so much. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. All right, we're back with Vernacular Podcast, and we're talking to Jordan and Catherine Short, two of our contributors. And Jordan and Catherine are Skyping us from a hotel room in Silicon Valley, California. Welcome, guys. Hi. So you guys are out there for kind of a, a mix of work and pleasure, right? Yeah. Yeah, we uh, started the trip doing a lot of work, and then uh, now it's just kind of transitioned to less work and more pleasure. And, I like the sound uh, it's of been, that. It's been great. Yeah. Well, we've been uh, following from afar, especially through your Instagram and blog, Catherine. And for our listeners who have not heard us talk to Catherine before, Catherine blogs at ashortblonde.com. And we've noticed recently the the website has a new look. Uh, and Jordan, I think last time we talked, you were you were working on that because you, I know, do a lot of graphic and website design. So it looks good. Thank you. Uh, what were you going for in the site? It looks, I don't know if I would describe it as like minimalist. Uh, but that's the best word that comes to mind. It's, it's yeah, sort it of, seems a little more streamlined. Like, it's like vintage, retro, streamlined, minimalist. All of these words are things that come to mind when I look at the, the redesign. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a that's a good word to use. I mean, I we wanted to simplify, yes, but I think when Catherine and I were talking, I mean, like the first thing that I always do with all of my clients, and sometimes I treat Catherine like a client, <laughs> but, but the first thing I do is I kind of figure out what the needs are. And so Catherine kind of came to me and was like, well, I don't like how this works and I don't like the functionality of this and, and this kind of could be improved. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, let's let's change it up. Let's go with a different design. And so 
we kind of work together on finding a basic uh, template that we could customize for, for Catherine's use. And so um, at the heart of the, of the simplistic approach is actually greater functionality and, and a better user experience for people that visit her site. So. Yeah, as a regular user slash reader, <laughs> I I find it really easy to just maneuver around the site. And I don't know, did it did that change the mobile version? Because that seems really streamlined as well and very easy to use. Yeah, a part of deciding which template to use, we checked out what the mobile functionality would look like because the majority of readers really do read them on their phone. Yeah, you know, I, I, I know have a I lot definitely of, do. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, you know, they may have a computer at home, but that's not necessarily the main place where they're reading blogs. Um, and so we liked the idea of keeping um, the mobile look looking like what it would look like on the computer as well. Isn't it crazy how the mobile revolution has just changed all of that? And it's even crazier that the mobile revolution basically started at Apple, which is down the road from where you guys are staying in your hotel right now. Wow. <laughs> it's just mind-melting. <laughs> <laughs> well, great job, you guys. It looks great. And as a reader, it's it's easy and fun to use. So keep it up. Thanks. Well, awesome. That's what we want to hear. So our listeners, listeners will remember, maybe may remember that the first time that Jordan and Catherine joined us on Vernacular, which was in season one, so a while ago, it was a great episode. You should go back and check it out if you haven't heard it. Um, they shared with us a very personal struggle that they have um, had been dealing with for over a year, and they were very honest about that. And I know a lot of our listeners were moved by their story, and we know that they have an update to that story, and so we brought them back to share that update. So guys, tell us what your news is. Well, before you tell us what the news is, the personal struggle that you shared with us was about your about infertility. That's true. Yeah. Yes. So now over yes. to you for an update. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So our big news is that I am pregnant. Yay! Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> so exciting. And girl or boy? So we are having a boy in July. Soon. So soon. Yes. Are you very keeping names soon. secret? We are keeping the name a secret. That's not, fair. We did the same thing. Not so much that I am worried that someone would steal our name, but more that I want the ability to change my mind. Yeah, yes. that's totally fair. We hear you. Yes. You know, because 40 weeks is a long time. You know, your opinions can change a lot within those uh, within that time frame. And names that we, you know, used to talk about several years ago are now not even on our radar. Right, so, right. Well, and when you meet him face to face, you may just be like, nope, that name just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I also think it's a good idea, and Sally has pointed this out to me before, but when you share the name that you're thinking of with people, they're more likely to give you a negative reaction if it's not a name that's already given to your child. <laughs> right. There's no. Like if, it's not, not if it's not set in stone on a, a birth certificate, hold and... they're like, ooh, that, that's, that's unique. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I mean, like when, when we first found out it was a boy – um, I was just, well, you know, I was just excited that it was a healthy baby, period. But then when I found out it was a boy, my initial, you know, my initial inclination for a name was like 
Chewbacca solo short. Okay. And I'm I glad that we didn't just like tell people that the boy was going to be called Chewbacca because after a few minutes, I, I kind of grew out of that. Yeah, I mean, Chewbacca is definitely more of a middle name. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you. That is such wisdom. I mean, unless you use wisdom. Chewy as a, as a nickname. <laughs> yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, keeping keeping the options open. And I think, I mean, I would imagine that once you see your child for the first time, that kind of can open up a whole other world of of feelings. And it's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe I look at this kid and it is a Chewbacca. And I thought, <laughs> you know, so I think it's, it's, it's nice to be able to have the option. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear what I was so excited choose. and such a big congratulations to both of you. We're very excited and very happy for you. Thank you. So if yeah, you guys, sorry, go ahead. It, it's still a little bit of a shock, even though I'm just about into my third trimester. So. <laughs> I'm sure to go from a couple years of wondering when your child would arrive and then now knowing you're going to meet him face to face really soon. Mm-hmm. And you yeah, said like, you, said you did this in July? This year. Yes. July 20th is the due date, but it could be any time, really. Right. Yeah. In in those few weeks. So two days and two two weeks and two days early would put him on Independence Day, which would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a super birthday. Celebrate it would with fireworks be a super every birthday. year. Oh, that'd be so cool. You and also not... our our victory over the aliens. Right. Um, oh yes. <laughs> you know, that's that's all good. Which would just be doubly impressive if Chewbacca <laughs> shared a birthday with. <laughs> Oh wow! Oh, that would be great. Uh, well, if I you guys, mean, I think we should just go with this, right? I, I are think we are we deciding should. to name our child like collectively? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just like take a poll. No, we yeah. can crowdsource it. Right. Oh, that's that's mm-hmm. the best. We've talked about crowdsourcing on this podcast before. It's, yeah, it's the best way to name so things for sure. Can it can never go wrong. Name the short baby through crowdsourcing. I'm <laughs> sure. Just go to our website. You can vote. <laughs> What should the short baby be named? You guys can retain veto power, though. I will yeah. allow that. <laughs> I'm all for suggestions. You know, I will consider them. I do think Zach is a very strong name for a young lad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, totally unbiased. Right. Right. Opinion, Zach Chewbacca short, I think, is probably a really yeah. decisive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but really it would be Zachary Chewbacca. Like, that's how I would go with it. You want the full, Yeah, like, that's a good point. You know. Either Zach I, Chewy or Zachary Chewbacca. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, man. This, well, so, this has been a super helpful conversation. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad we can be of assistance in your, yeah. your search Anytime. for a name. I know how hard these name searches can be. <laughs> I mean, Jordan, when you were on before, we talked about uh, what a name means in the context of Father Hands, your band. Right. So it's just more magnified when it's actually about a person. <laughs> so totally. I'm, I'm glad and, and in all seriousness, like in all seriousness, we found coming up with boy names to be much more difficult than than girl names um and that was kind of that was interesting like we have a whole slew of girl names that we like and uh the the boy names are a little bit harder for us so why do you think that is i think there's less options for boy names than there are girl names seemingly seemingly you know you 
have more abstract name options for girls, you know, like all flower names or even uh, colors. You know, you've got Beyonce naming her baby blue. Yeah. <laughs> and and a plant. And a plant. Right. Yeah. yeah blue ivy. There, there you, you go. go. Um, no, I think. Go ahead. Sorry. Right. So I think there's less of those kind of outside the box names that work for boys. And I think, you know, there is, yeah. And I, I almost feels like the, the names for boys are in two camps. There's not much of a spectrum. It's almost like two isolated camps. You have these either super out of the box, um, kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, like weirder fun names. And then you have these, uh, very like traditional historical names and, and it's kind of like, okay, well, how do you, how do you mix and match those Yeah, totally. and, and come up with an interesting combination and, you know, or do you go entirely classical or do you go entirely, um, kind of unique and, and, hipster. and, and hipster. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting. You know, you're, I don't know. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just a personal hangup, but girl names were so much easier. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. That's been our experience as well. Trying to, when, you know, before we knew that Esther was a girl, uh, we knew that we were expecting. And so we were brainstorming both and it was definitely easier to come up with a list of girl names that we liked than it was to come up with a list of boy names. And I don't really know why it is. I don't really have any solid theories but yeah it's funny yeah well and it, it was cool because like or not cool it was interesting to note like when we were discussing it with different friends and and you agreed like all of them kind of said the same thing where i was like oh yeah totally um girl names are much more difficult i almost wonder this is a half-baked theory so don't take it as anything more than that but i almost wonder if boy names have more baggage associated with them in the sense that like the the movers and shakers for most of history because women didn't have an equal place in society were the men. And so the the male names that we often think of, you know, anything from the the, the like like John, William, George, we can all think of people in history who had those names. And then mm-hmm. we consciously or subconsciously think, do I want to associate my son with that person? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, That's interesting. That's a really good theory. Yeah. I like that, that does make a lot of sense. Half baked. It's a work in progress. I just thought of it in the last five minutes. So <laughs> no, no, but I like that. I think yeah, that seems to that seems to hold water for me. I I think I uh, yeah, for sure. Good. So do some research on that, Zach. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, 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 I want a formal, <laughs> written like maybe, you know, fifty page essay like. Single spaced, <laughs> unless just like doesn't need to be peer reviewed. Yeah. Like a peer reviewed essay. Yeah. No, no, let's not get too crazy. Oh, okay, just five hundred pages. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have to be peer reviewed though. Well, oh, thank you, know, you, thank you. Yeah, let's okay. keep it casual here. Either way, it's a good problem to have. <laughs> naming naming a child. Naming a Absolutely, that's true. We're, we're very grateful. <laughs> Congrats, you guys. <laughs> Well, so this is not news, but you've also reached another milestone in your lives and in your marriage, and that's eight years of marriage. Congratulations about that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I know. I 
I'm not sure where the time went. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've been married for over three now, and it seems like it has really flown. Yes, I, I have always told people that our seven months of being engaged felt longer than those first few years of marriage somehow. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that. And looking back, I just, it's hard to believe that, you know, 10 years is not, is literally kind of around the corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So looking back on your guys' eight years of marriage, what are your top three things that you would say to other young married couples? Mm-hmm. You know, which is obviously not to say that you guys are the experts. You know, I'm not, you know, I know you wouldn't put yourselves on the pedestal, so I'm not going to do that either. But just from you your guys, own personal experience, yeah, what do you think? What do you think other young married people should know. need to know? That is a really good question. Go ahead. I would say the first um, point is to learn to engage in each other's hobbies. Because as the years go on, it is hard to stay connected and finding ways to interact with things that your spouse finds enjoyable is just going to make your life more enjoyable. Um, Because if you constantly separate yourself, this person goes over here and the other goes over there and you never kind of weave in the middle um, it's harder to stay connected and that can be from small things to big things. That's, you know, going to see star Wars in the movie theater with your spouse, even if maybe that's not your typical movie choice. Um, it can be going to a sports game. Um, or even if you have a spouse that's really into running marathons, you know, going to the races with them and cheering them on, even though you're not going to participate in the actual race itself. Right. And it's not just one sided. You going to see Star Wars with me. Right. It is me watching Dancing with the Stars with you or, you know. And finding ways to enjoy it. Yeah. Too. Oh, totally. Yeah. You're not just sitting there on the couch. All yeah. Grumpy, and... grumpy pants. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That yeah, wouldn't no really fit the spirit of the law. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's not. And, and, and even as you do that, as you take enjoyment in the other person's things, it's not like you have to own it. It's not like you have to take ownership of it and like it equally. But it's 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 just finding joy in it, finding joy in your partner, experiencing joy in that activity and and not even keeping score with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason to be like, well, um, you know, I <laughs> I watched that that chick flick with you. Now you need to go to a sporting event with me. Um, that's not what it's about. But it's just reveling in the other person, experiencing joy as well. And 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 I think if you love your partner, then you you get joy from them, experiencing joy. I think. So, yeah, well said. All right. So that's one. What's two? Um, I think along the same lines of, of, you know, experiencing joy in other people's hobbies or in your partner's hobbies. um, I think just in general, bending toward each other is, is super important. Um, It's, it's like, okay, acknowledging that my needs, uh, 
are not the most important thing in the world, right? And, and looking for ways in which I can get closer to, to Catherine, um, like throughout the week, throughout the day and meeting in the middle, uh, for things. So it's, it's, and the more you do that on a daily basis, it's, it's amazing how much affection grows as you, as you kind of like metaphorically bend toward that other person. Um, and not just like saying, okay, well, here's my stream, here's my lane. Uh, I'm just going to stick, stay in it. And, uh, yeah, you got to meet me where I am. And I think both, both people are capable of being very selfish, right? Cause we're just humans. So yeah, the I think more it's our that nature we can, to be totally like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So it's like, just bending toward each other, meeting in the middle, asking for forgiveness um, when necessary. That's just like having a soft, maintaining a soft attitude toward your partner is is really key. And I think that is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. Right. It's going about your day and asking yourself, you know, where can I meet my spouse? You know, what can I do that's going to make their day better instead of constantly thinking, okay, well, I need to do this, 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 and this. And as you think that way, you know, then the other partner is going to think that way. And it, it's not as though, you know, you're never going to have hard situations that you're going to go through and they're not going to be easy, but it's going to be easier to go through them when you're, both meeting in the middle. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's not being ruled by your own personal to-do list. Um, I think, I think like for me, like that's, that's how I would take that metaphor and apply it practically, practically. Right. Yeah. So you just took a big swig of water. Yeah, I took a big swig of water. <laughs> <laughs> I might have heard a crackle in the background. <laughs> no worries. Um, so practically speaking, yeah. What does, what does that look like for you guys? What, just give us an example. Oh, I mean, for me, it's I come home and my brain has not shut off from work yet. And often, you know, I still have some things to do um, after I come home. And sometimes because I feel like males are particularly prone to having one track minds, right? And it's almost just like I come home and I'm still like, okay, I'm in the zone. Like I got to focus. Well, when I come home, you know, Catherine has, is oftentimes she, she's home from work by that time. And, you know, she's wanting to tell me about her day and my natural inclination, even though I love her, I want to just be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I can't, I don't want to hear about your day right now because I gotta, I gotta think I gotta about solve this. these problems that I'm still dealing with from work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's like, that's a, <laughs> that's a perfect recipe for just icing out your partner. Yeah. You know, Um, I mean, I, I've totally done that too. I think it was about three weeks ago we were sitting at the dinner table and, you know, Esther was sitting in our high chair right next to us and I was sitting there with Sally and I was just being really silent. And then about halfway through the dinner, I just realized that I really was just thinking about work. And I told Sally, I was like, I'm sorry, babe. I, uh, I I just brought work home with me today. Like I, I didn't Mm -hmm. leave it at the office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, sometimes, you know, because of Jordan's 
work schedule and how that is. Sometimes he does have to work during times that I might have a free day and realizing that I have to allow that to happen sometimes um, and not take it personally. Um, But then also just even silly things like deciding to cook something because I know that Jordan would really like it even though maybe that's not my favorite dish or grabbing a certain snack, you know, at the store, because I know that it will make him, you know, excited to have that. It's not just, okay, well, what do I want? What cereal do I want? But it's sort of, well, what cereal would Jordan want? So it's, it's in big things and it's in little things. I remember also, (laughs) <laughs> one of one of one of our great fights that that we've had um, was we the had great fight of one of the great yes <laughs> it which was, was before it you were was, married incidentally yeah. so <laughs> we were together but yeah 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 this fight was was over coffee yeah <laughs> we we were in in Paris actually and you know we we left uh, our Airbnb. And I was so excited about exploring the city, and I had this to-do list of things. And Catherine had told me before we uh, left the, the the flat, she's like, you know, I, I'm really going to need some coffee. Like, I, it will really help me with the day. And so I you had it been needs warned, to be our in first thing. She had warned me, and I had like, kind of, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> but I like ignored it, and and I wasn't attuned to her needs. And very real needs. And so like we're going and I was just kind of like on this autopilot, like, okay, we got to get to this place and it's going to be awesome. And, and she just was like, she just kind of like, Jordan, why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you paying attention to me? Like, I really need coffee. (laughs) And I was like, babe, but you can get coffee when we get to this location. We're in Paris. We're in Paris. And uh, it was just a whole funny thing that like blew up just over me not paying attention to what Catherine needed. And it was a real simple solution. And I was just in my own little world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I remember Number that day. Three. <laughs> you remember that day well, the yeah. day that you didn't get your coffee right away. I, I hear you, Catherine. I would be there as well. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, number three. Yeah. I think for us, um, it's really important for us to keep just playing together, you know, having fun because life is really hard. You know, I wouldn't say marriage in particular is hard, but I think life throws a lot of things at us that just make day to day things difficult. And if you don't actively choose to have fun, it's going to be a slog. Yeah, well, I mean, your infertility story is a great example of that. Yeah, I mean, those three years were not exactly – looking back, there was a lot of moments of joy, but we had to actively choose those moments of joy and choose to not get bogged down by the sadness that we were experiencing Um, because we didn't really know how long that season would last. And I wouldn't want to look back on our marriage and think, man, there was three years where we just did nothing but sit and cry in our, (laughs) in our sadness. And, 
and I remember choosing, like, I remember a moment where I really sat down and had to make a choice that, you know, I would allow myself specific days and moments to sort of feel all that I needed to feel. And then I needed to spend the rest of my time, you know, having fun together. And pursuing joy, mm-hmm. not only with each other, but but with, with other people mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, we we have friends that they they haven't, like, said so verbatim, but it's almost like their actions and certain conversations that we've had have 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 kind of conveyed that they were just like waiting for retirement to have fun. And, <laughs> yeah, I and think it's that like, mentality okay, we'll is work, pervasive. Right? And it's like, okay, we'll work our butts off. And then when we're 55 or 60, whatever, we'll have fun. And I'm like, you're okay, A, you're not even guaranteed that you'll live that long. B, who knows what the job market is gonna is gonna be like. I mean, there, there's there's so many variables. You don't know if you'll have your health, all these things. And I'm not saying, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's not what I'm saying. It's important to be wise and plan for the future. But also at the same time, enjoy the moments that you have now, uh, your friends and your family and, and, and you, your partner. I think it's super, man, it's just, it's just important. You know, put down the phone, and and uh, and be in the moment for a second. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately. I mean, I'm reading a book right now called The Little Wave, Ruthie Lemming, and it's a very sad story about a woman who, at the age of 40, that gets diagnosed with a very aggressive and very advanced form of cancer, and within months she dies. But she dies surrounded by her family who loves her and her town who rallies around her. She's from rural Louisiana. Um, really moving, really sad story, but also a story in which the joy that you're talking about really comes through, Jordan. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking about how, you know, my life right now is so wonderful. I have an amazing wife, an amazing daughter. I love my family. I have a great extended family. Uh, everything right now is going swimmingly, but that doesn't mean that there won't be loss and heartache in the future. But, mm-hmm. and just even right now, like sometimes laying in my bed, falling asleep at night, I get caught up thinking about what could happen and the heartache that could come our way one day. Mm-hmm. But then the only antidote I think to that is living a life full of joy like you've talked about because the life we've given, we've been given. And I'm not saying YOLO, like you aren't saying YOLO, Jordan. <laughs> so right, this, no. is, this is very different from that. This is saying that we have to embrace the time that we're given and use it for good. And it doesn't mean to use it for pleasure exclusively. Uh, it means mm-hmm. to use it for good and pursue the type of joy that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been great, you guys. Those are three great tips. And thanks for sharing your happy baby news with us. And congratulations yeah. again. Yeah. We're so thrilled for you. And we'll Thank look, you. we'll Thank look you. forward to hearing about the birth of Zachary Chewbacca. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hashtag Zachary Chewbacca. Hashtag YOLO. Perfect. And, and that just that's sums right. up this conversation. It's a joyful yeah. name right there. There you go. <laughs> well, have fun the rest of your trip in California. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, we're back to wrap things up with episode seven of Vernacular Podcast. And before we do that, we wanted to check our inbox. Ah, great idea. Did anybody write us? 
Ooh, yes, we have mail. We actually have a lot of mail. Thank you for everyone who's been emailing us and letting us know how you're liking the episodes. Our first email is from Nathan, who just listened to season three, episode two, and thanked us for our recommendation of the children's book, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. Otherwise known as Boom Boom. Right, in our household. <laughs> that's what it's called, Boom Boom. Uh, it's a book about a bunch of letters who climb up to the coconut tree, but then Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, they all fall down and their parents have to come get them. It's a favorite <laughs> in our house, and apparently it's now a favorite in Nathan's household as well. His daughter loves it. So uh, you're welcome for that one, Nathan. Nathan also mentioned to us that he heard us talking about The Road and All the Light We Cannot See, and he's read both of those and heartily recommends. He also just finished listening to Go Set a Watchman, which is the new Harper Lee novel that was published last year after its uh, controversial discovery. And she wrote To Kill Kill a Mockingbird, right. And Nathan said, even though it got a lot of bad reviews, he thought it was pretty good. Okay. Um, It's a a movie about uh, civil rights, the the civil rights movement in America. Okay. I've not read it, but Nathan said it was pretty good. So thanks, Nathan. Yeah, thank you. All right. And then our next email is from Maria. She said she's been listening to our latest podcasts and loving them. She loved hearing about our Colorado adventure and definitely wants to try the recipe for quinoa fried rice, quote unquote. And she specifically said that she loved the episode with Margaret. She was such a great guest and so insightful and eloquent. Thanks, Maria. Thanks for weighing in and so glad you're enjoying the episode. We loved the episode with Margaret as well. She she will be back since she is now a contributor. And speaking of the episode with Margaret, we heard from uh, Ashley as well. And Ashley said, hi, I just wanted to say I listened to your podcast with Margaret and I enjoyed it. First time listener here. Well, welcome, Ashley. Yeah, welcome. She goes on to say that uh, yeast flakes, nutritional yeast, has been a part of her family's pantry for at least the last 10 years. Wow. She says, my younger sister loves them. She can eat them straight out of the container, but she usually adds them to her buttered toast or popcorn. I've made a dressing for kale salad with them, but since we aren't vegan, it isn't something I regularly reach for. Okay. Wow. Well, it sounds like she's ahead of the nutritional yeast fanfare. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) She was doing it before it was cool. Well, speaking of that, we never really gave our review. We did try nutritional yeast on popcorn. We did. And it wasn't quite the cheesy experience that I was expecting. Right. Um, I don't know. It's I somewhat ignorantly was expecting it to be more like a dusting on Cheetos, which makes no sense when I say it out loud, but that's kind of what I had pictured in my mind. Well, I mean, it is used for things like nacho cheese sauce, vegan nacho cheese sauce, or Cheetos flavored chickpeas. Right. So It doesn't taste cheesy to me, though, is the thing. Yeah, it was hard to tell exactly what the flavor was. I liked it at first, but I felt like as I kept going in the bowl of popcorn, it I got the more distinct scent or taste of yeast. Right. Of regular yeast. Ooh. So that was a little weird. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't hate it. I'll definitely use it again. And I think I might be more inclined to use it in a recipe rather than just on my popcorn. Um, Maybe to try a vegan nacho cheese sauce or to use it in a dressing, Um, something where it's mixed in with other ingredients. So I'm not I'm not poo-pooing it. Yeah, I don't really have a super strong opinion. I didn't love it, but I certainly didn't hate it either. Right, My biggest right. complaint was it didn't, you know, they were just dry flakes. So they didn't stick to the popcorn very well. So the flakes would all sort of just fall to the bottom of the bowl and you had to sort of scoop them out as yeah. you grabbed a handful <laughs> of popcorn. So I like Ashley's suggestion of try and get on buttered toast because I think they would you'd stick, get, you could get a little right? more of the, the flavor too that way. So maybe we'll have to try that. Yeah. Now that we have you know, a whole bag of nutritional yeast in our pantry. Yeah, got to use it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for that, Ashley. 
All right. And then we wanted to also add before we finish out that we have an editorial question of the week. Very important one. And if you've listened to this entire episode, you know that the shorts, two of our contributors, are having a baby in July. And you also know that it's always a good idea to crowdsource a name. (laughs) Right. I.e. Bodie McBoatface. So our question for you is, what should the shorts name their baby? Besides Zachary Chewbacca. But if you think that's a great name. That's true. Yeah. You can definitely vote for that. That can be your choice. And we will relay the results to the shorts. And they, however, are not committed to taking your suggestion. Right. Not at all. Yeah. In fact, they haven't mentioned anything to us about that. (laughs) They haven't actually even given us permission to crowdsource this. Right. But we're doing it anyways. (laughs) Yep. It'll be great. Because they can always need more help. Right, absolutely. Clearly, they need help. Yeah. So they're still deciding. There are lots of names out there that they probably haven't thought of yet. Yeah. So if you've got a great name for the Shorts Baby, then please email us and let us know. Please do. And to email us, you can email us at Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. You can also let us know on Twitter at vernacularpod. And if you do that, I would say definitely hashtag a short baby. A short baby. That's yeah. a good idea. Yep. Hashtag a short baby. You can also use that hashtag on Facebook, facebook.com slash vernacularpodcast. And as always, please check out our website, vernacularpodcast.com. There you can see all of our past episodes and see our blog, which is at blog.vernacularpodcast.com. All right. We'll see you next week for episode eight. For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. Feeling better than ever when I'm by your